in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. Two brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, John Flack and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights to the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I am your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today, kind of in the co-host position, Brian Fry's back, subbing in for your usual co-host, or actually, Brian's been here probably as many times as John at this point, so you guys know him. Welcome, Brian Fry. Evening, guys. How are we doing tonight? They're great. We're day. You don't know what time of day they're listening. <laughs> it's true. And we got... A really good guest, one of my favorite people, one of the best guests we've had on the show, Chad Robinson. Hello, Chad. How are you? Aren't you, by definition, the best guest? I oh, I don't know. I mean, dang, throwing it down. Yeah, an accurate statement. Technically, Chad has the least downloaded episode of any episode. So, uh, but don't let that oh. hold you back from. Uh, yeah, it was the mist's fault. It wasn't your fault. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm sure this movie will help my ratings just skyrocket. I think it will. I think it will. you're going to be popular <laughs> with the ladies anyway. So That'll be a change. <laughs> All right. So do you guys know Chad? But I don't think you know Chad as well as I know Chad and as well as Brian knows Chad. We want you to get to know Chad a little more. So, Chad, are you ready to answer some questions for the listeners at home? Let them into your life. I am ready, listeners. Doors open. All right. I'm going to hit you with some hard questions here. The first one being, what chick flick do you most tolerate or even, I dare say, enjoy? Ten Things I Hate About You. Uh, Heath Ledger, Julia Stiles, Larissa Olenek, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It's a modern retelling of Taming of the Shrew. You know what? It's, it's goofy, it's fun, it's kind of a breakout role for all of those actors, and it's enjoyable. I... I would definitely see it again. Hmm. Okay. Okay. And if you hadn't caught the drift yet, uh, this is a uh, Valentine's Day special. So, uh, you know, we're trying to do something special for the ladies here. And uh, today's we will be doing a chick flick. That's how I asked uh, that question there. So what is your best Valentine's Day, though, Chad? Probably my first one uh, while I was still dating my wife, I was very, very nervous, so I booked a place that really didn't need a reservation. I booked a reservation like eight months in advance. We were really crowded. We dressed real nicely, um, but uh, put pretty much right next to two old people that just talked to us the entire time. But the meal was good. It was a good memory, and uh, it was a fun night out. <laughs> Did they... Uh... Did they comment on uh, you guys as a couple? They, they did. It was one of those, oh, young love, blah, blah. I remember when I was young like you too. It's never going to be that way again. Screw a lot. Very much, but they weren't Jewish <laughs> stereotypes. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, another good question here is, what is the first movie that you and Sarah saw when you were dating together? 
So my wife likes animated movies, and I didn't really understand she actually has preferences for animated movies, so this one's on me. I took her to see Shark Tale, which was like Finding Nemo with Will Smith and Angelina Jolie, except not good, not funny. I've not seen it. It, uh, it was pretty terrible. It was very awkward, too, because... My wife had to pretend she liked it because I was trying to do something nice in, in her interest. But she told me years later, that movie was really stupid. And it did matters. you also pretend that you liked it? I did. I did. So we, we saw a much better movie later on. We saw Shrek 2. Both of us enjoyed that. I finally figured out Disney or, or some, uh, some DreamWorks or Safe Spaces. But uh, Shark Tale, don't do that as a retro movie. Okay, okay, it's not holding up, and that's okay. Maybe this one will, though. Uh, before we get to the, today's movie, though, what is the last movie you saw, Chad? I actually went back and rewatched the brand new Halloween, uh, mostly because you guys gave oh, cool. me such a hard time. Yeah. About about my opinion, uh, I stand by my opinion. I just I don't dig it. It it's better than most of the sequels for Halloween, but it's just. It doesn't do it for me. They follow Michael Myers around too much, and I just don't want that. Mm, I, I got the, it. I got to the point today after watching our movie for the day that I immediately went on iTunes and bought Venom and watched it. I still haven't just seen to, that. Ju- just to clean ten things, uh, or uh, how to lose a guy in ten days off. And did it work? Oh yeah, yeah I really enjoyed Venom. Okay, <laughs> all right, I, I, I'm. I'm uh, somewhere on the in between on Venom, so I wasn't sure how you felt about it. I uh, I don't think they necessarily follow who the character was very well, but I was okay with the the changes they made. Well, as Brian alluded to, today we're gonna do how to lose a guy in ten days, and you're not gonna hear the mistakes. But this is actually the fourth time I did that because I kept screwing up and saying ten things I hate about you because that's what Chad just mentioned uh, a little bit ago. So. Uh, now that I'm straight and I'm saying how to lose a guy in 10 days, uh, this is a well-liked a chick flick. This is a movie that came out in the year 2003. It made a lot of money. It was uh, $105.8 million in the box office, finishing 24th on the year. Pretty strong for a rom-com. It comes behind the Italian Job remake with Mark Wahlberg and Charlize Theron. And ahead of American Wedding, which I actually quite like that movie quite a bit. So uh, it's, uh, it's in good company there between some good movies. IMDb gives us a 6.4, and the critics are a little hard on this movie. They give it a 42% as well, but the audience score of Rotten Tomatoes comes to its rescue at 77%. So, guys, i got to ask you, had you seen this one before? What were your thoughts coming into this movie? How long had it been? Just give people a little bit of background on where you are in this movie. Uh, Chad, why don't you take this one first? I've seen this one a lot. I think this was watch number seven it's one of those movies that's on tbs a lot my wife likes to watch it whenever it comes on it's just one of her personal kind of turn off your brain and watch experiences i think i hear it i think i saw it about a year after it first came out it was probably a rental or something like that so yeah i'm i'm really familiar with this film and this genre you're also pretty uh, well versed in as well right Yes, thank, thank you for that, Russell. But yes, well, I. <laughs> <laughs> we try and cover every kind of movie here, and I'll be honest with you. Even though I 
this episode was intended to appeal to uh, the ladies who appreciate chick flicks. I personally don't know any women who enjoy them uh, who would want to come on the show. And so the next best suggestion was Chad has seen, how many would you say chick flicks? I mean, more than 100? It's it's up there. I'd rather not count. But uh, yeah, I'll put it on my tombstone. Horror movie and chick flick expert. Yeah, Chad has got a lot of them under his belt. We were in an Amazon bookstore. Or, I mean, um, oh gosh, sorry, Brian, it was a Barnes and Noble. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's all right. We were in a, we were in a Barnes and Noble store one time, flipping through the movies. Uh, I don't know if they still have movies or not, but we were waiting to get into another movie, and so we had a lot of time to kill. And so we went to the, um, I guess, chick flick or romantic comedy section. We're flipping through the DVDs. I'm like, "Have you seen this one, Chad?" And he goes, "I have." I was like, "Really?" And I flipped it again. I was like, "This one," and. Uh, not all of them had he been through, but a resounding number of them he had. So he does have good, uh, like I said, like he said, he's quite a connoisseur of the, of the genre. So there was a growing look of horror on you and your wife's face as you're flipping through and like, really this one, even this yeah. one. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah. If it, if even it has, that one. if it has Matthew McConaughey taking his shirt off, I've probably been forced to see it. Okay. Okay, and uh, Brian, I'm assuming that you are not as well-versed in the chick flick genre as Chad here. Uh, are you familiar with uh, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, or uh, is this your first go-around? Uh, no, I, I took just to see this when it was in theaters, I think. Um, I, I had remembered bits and pieces of this movie, but it definitely demanded a rewatch for it to have any sort of uh, anything to talk about. Right, right. Well, you always got to freshen up on that. That's that's the nature of the show. It's fun to see if things are holding up or not. It was definitely a sure, honey. We'll go see that. Did she enjoy it? You know, I I don't even remember. Wow. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And uh, so as for me, I'd never seen this one before. uh, And uh, this was my first time going in. I'll be honest with you. The premise did seem a little more promising. And so as we go into it, you will see that I, I actually still appreciate the premise. I thought the concept of actively trying to lose a guy in 10 days on purpose was a funny concept. So, and uh, when we return after this break, we're going to get into spoiling the movie and breaking the whole movie down here. In the meantime, we have guys, we have an actual uh, sponsor. Isn't that pretty exciting? Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Gotta uh, get that money. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, here, here for the uh, Valentine's Day episode, we have a dating app sponsor. Here we go. Do you like movies but don't form a real connection with them? Well, maybe you don't know where to find the right kind of movie that you will truly love. Maybe you lack the confidence to fully love a movie. Do you struggle to form deep, meaningful relationships with the films you encounter? Hello there. I'm Thilkie Lewis. If you are looking to find true love but having trouble, let Thilkie help you. Because if there's one thing Thilkie understands, it's love. Let Thilkie help you find your true cinematic love with Retro Movie Roundtable on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. In no time at all, you'll find your remarkable movies that you will fall in love with. With the helpful insights of John, Brian, and Russell, you will soon learn what you need to know about movies. Don't hide your cinematic love that you found with Retro Movie Roundtable. Share it with the world. Tell a friend. Subscribe to the show. Give a show five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Like the show on Facebook. Email at RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com. Finding a long-lasting love can be hard, but with the Retro Movie Roundtable, you too will be in love with movies. What are you waiting for? Listen to Retro Movie Roundtable now and find love. Wow, we're internet famous, Brian. Isn't that pretty cool? We got a dating app sponsoring the show. Hey, listen, man. You always got to try to grab for that internet money. 
That's right. Chad, are you ready to give us a rundown on this movie, this classic movie of How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days? Yes, sir. Andy Anderson is a Columbia journalist stuck working for a Cosmo-esque magazine where she is their how-to girl. You know, the same person that comes up with the 32 ways to drive your man crazy in bed. Half of those suggestions involve feathers or situations that cause rug burns. Yeah, she's that girl. So inspired by a co-worker, Michelle, who insists that Andy wouldn't get dumped for doing the same needy mistakes that she'd committed, Andy decides to write an article called How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. She'll act obnoxious, and despite her obvious attractiveness, the guy will be sent running for the hills. Little does she know that Ben Barry, a salesman, has simultaneously made a bet with his boss and co-workers that he'll get a girl to fall madly in love with him and wait for it, guys. 10 days. This will somehow prove that he'd be able to sell diamonds to women. Sure. His co-workers learn about Andy's column, and at a joint function, they set Ben up to fail by pointing Andy out. Things start out okay, but Andy gradually acts crazier for making Ben repeatedly miss an imaginary final series the Knicks never would have been in in the first place giving him love ferns, naming his member Princess Sophia, crashing boys' night, weeping uncontrollably, all the crazy stuff she can think of. In a last-ditch effort to save his bet, Ben suggests couples therapy. The therapist, who's actually Andy's co-worker, sends Andy and Ben off to meet Ben's parents, hoping for the final act of sabotage. But Andy actually has a pretty good time, lets her guard fall, and they start actually falling in love. So at Ben's Frost Yourself promotion, Andy discovers Ben's bet, while Andy's boss accidentally informs Ben of Andy's upcoming column. At the same time. I mean, wow, what a coincidence that was. So both of them know each other's secrets, and but awkwardly sing a duet uh, to You're So Vain while recounting terrible moments in their relationship. And then Andy storms off, calling it quits. Andy does publish her column, but her boss won't let her write about imaginary conflicts that aren't happening at the moment, like wars in Tajikistan. Instead, she says, you can write about whatever you want as long as it pertains to shoes, fashion, and dating. So Andy quits and decides to interview in Washington. Ben then reads Andy's column, which is full of remorse, where she admits that he was the only man she'd actually fallen for. Ben races through the city on his motorcycle until he finds at Andy's cab, gets her to pull over, and talks her into staying with him. They make cheesy allusions to the game of BS they played at Ben's parents' house, kiss, and the credits roll. Everybody lives happily after. Absolutely. And that's why we tune into these. The kind that only happens in film. (laughs) The kind where no one in New York flicks you off for weaving in between traffic. Honestly, I'm surprised he didn't get shot during that exit sequence. Right? I mean, no one's mad about the cab that just blocks the bridge. Sure. I, I, I don't know. As a basketball fan, I, it caught my ear that you said the Knicks would have no business being in the finals. And I thought, well, they were in the finals against the Spurs. But you're right. It was 1999 that they were in the finals with the Spurs. This was four years later. And the Knicks had a losing record of 37 and 45. And no, they would not have made the playoffs. So, And every they showed during that entire time was against the Kings. So I was like, wow, this is not entertaining basketball. <laughs> the Kings were actually good at that time. 
Yes, he, he's he's right about that. The Kings had the second best record in the league that year. So enough about basketball, more about chick flicks. That's why three guys come together to talk about on a weeknight. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about the very premise of the story? Uh, the fact that, you know, you've got a guy who is in a bet that he can get any girl in 10 days and a girl who's in a bet that she can lose anybody in 10 days. Uh, Ryan, good premise, bad premise? You know, it's believable. I mean, I could absolutely see a bunch of people sitting around at a magazine like Composure and say, hey, hey, see if this could happen. That is entirely realistic to me, especially in New York where there's a lot of a lot of playing happening. So uh, that part's completely realistic to me. And I'll tell you what, I even buy the ad side of it. Like I said, in, in things that can only happen in film, the uh, – tidiness of the oh they happen to meet here oh there's the two conniving women who have set up to make this guy fail it there are a lot of cliches going on well actually i thought the fact that there were rival marketing experts that picked the girl knowing that she was writing an article on how to lose a guy in 10 days basically stacking the bet in their favor was actually i liked that wrinkle as opposed to just serendipity accidentally putting these two people by happenstance together I don't know where you stand on that one, Chad. I mean, it was still at the same event function where I kind of raised my eyebrow as Ben's boss being so eager to just kind of let him hit on women on company time and why this premise is convincing him that he can sell diamonds. I mean, later on we figure out, hey, just look like Matthew McConaughey and they'll <laughs> they'll have a a diamond sales pitch that you can have. All right, all right. I think if this movie came out like today, that it would have caught a lot of crap for basically how both of the ad women were acting toward their boss and how their boss was acting toward them. The entire conversation Matthew McConaughey was having about it. I mean, <laughs> there was a whole lot of probably uh, inappropriate behavior happening in and around the entire uh, ad campaign for those diamonds. You're right about that. Yeah, where where was the HR department? I mean, did no one get the same lectures that I do? It's sexual harassment. Panda. <laughs> no, but you guys are right about that. When Mary had not seen this one before, and she was just like, man, these two women are just making me angry, and like this guy's a sleaze. And so that is, some to some degree, the uh, reaction in today's political climate. So... Uh, 2003 was a different time. <laughs> Let's go through the hit list that uh, Andy does to try and lose Ben. There's a lot of things when you actually go and add it up, and uh, you guys can comment along the way and uh, say like how effective that might be in terms of if you were dating a girl, if this was happening to you, uh, like on the on the Richter scale, like just really bad or you know I could deal with that or demands a drink at an NBA basketball finals game at, with about two minutes left to go on the clock. I can uh, deal base, with that. Base blasphemy. <laughs> deal breaker already for Brian and Chad can deal with that. All right. Uh, calls him during a business meeting at work. I can definitely deal with that. You know what he did wrong there at the Knicks game? That's when you say, okay, I'll be right back. And then you just stand at the top of the stairs. You watch the end of the game and be like, God, there was a surprising line out there. It's weird. Yeah, I'm with Fry. I mean, that's that's what would have happened. I was very surprised he actually went through. Let's keep in mind part of the premise is Michelle points out that Andy is so attractive. She's not going to get dumped immediately for some of these things. So that helps. It helps when you look like Kate Hudson. Okay, yes. Yeah, that, that, is, that is part of this. So, yeah, this fictional girl is Kate Hudson. 
brings girlish items to redecorate your house like comforters, teddy bears, and doilies, uh, and uh, also gives you a plant that you didn't ask for to take care of. The plant was the thing I was the most okay with. Okay. Brian likes plants. Uh, what about you, Chad? I have a Mickey Mouse on my bed, okay. so I think that <laughs> speaks for itself. <laughs> okay. That's okay. Very, very good. Uh, changes, uh, changes your music and puts her own music in. Yeah, this, this happens all the time. There, there's it much. It, 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 the point in my life where this movie happened, if it were five of justice CDs, it would have been far worse than Kate Hudson's. That's fair. Actually, her, her music selection was not bad. I didn't think. Lashes out in anger and makes a huge scene in a restaurant saying that he thinks she's fat. I, that would have been an eyebrow raiser for me, for him. Like, I think that would have been the first instance where I'm like, okay, no one's that crazy. Like to completely fabricate something like that. I, I don't know. That, more... that would have been the first hint that something was maybe awry. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Chad? I have seen that happen in real life. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was just a suggestion for the girl to uh, try a salad. And it wasn't like, Hey, you need a salad, but that's how she took it. And she cried and screamed fat. Yeah. So you so were that, part of the problem. You were enabling this. Uh, no, I, <laughs> I did not take place. I, I was not the salad suggester. Suggester. Uh, no, if, if a girl did this to me, uh, I think this would be, that would be one of the final straws of like, yeah, probably need to get out. Okay. But let's say you made it through that. Acts very childish when pursuing, uh, you know, uh, sexual play and names your penis Princess Sophia. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's one of those like dot, dot, dots. Like that's one of those things where I have a shocked look on my face for at least 30 seconds before I, I even like reboot to respond. So, uh, again, they, they touch on a lot of uh, overkill moments here that kind of leave you uh, stunned. <laughs> I actually thought her performance during that was pretty, like, like I said, that was thoroughly unappealing. And uh, like, you know, like as Chad mentioned, Kate Hudson, very beautiful woman. Uh, somehow uh, she landed the, uh, nope, I'm going to go for a walk. When I come back, we're just not going to talk about that. And we're going to just move on from here. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know what the appropriate reaction to an incredibly attractive woman saying, can Princess Sophia come out to play? But I, I think I'm going with Fry of just stunned silence while I try and register what just happened. <laughs> I'll also say this, though, that after my stunned silence and reboot, I'd probably be like, yep, sure can. <laughs> I, I'm not suggesting Kroll the Warrior King. That's for sure. Uh, when the previous choice was Princess Sophia, Kroll's looking better. Spike was an option. I mean, that's shorter, at least. Uh... So, yeah, but do you really want your junk to be named after the blonde guy from uh, Angel and Buffy? Good point. Yeah, I'm okay with that. He was a cool dude. Okay. okay. All right. Well, then. I'm, I'm not a big fan <laughs> of naming body parts. That's just my opinion on the, on the matter. So uh, <laughs> buying him matching clothing and then telling him to put it on now at work in front of his friends. Well, he already proved that he was fine taking his shirt off at work. That kind of uh, established the basis of the Matthew McConaughey romantic comedy from the start of the movie so you're okay with this okay and uh chad i mean russell this was a plaid shirt 
this is your thing. <laughs> it's actually funny that you say this. this. Everybody at work always thinks that I don't wear anything but like solids because at work I wear like, you know, a shirt, tie and more formal wear. Uh, Chad is my friend and knows me from my casual side. So they're two lives at work. I wear a tie and all solids. And like I have had people who could be like, do you own any shirts with patterns on it? And it's funny that Chad says this like, man, all you wear is uh, flannel shirts with plaid, plaid flannel shirts. So uh, it's funny. That was a very funny moment. So this this would inspire you to love this girl and keep her around. Be like, she gives me plaid. If it's flannel and it feels good and soft, I, I'd be into that. This one was not that kind of shirt, though. So I, I'm getting I'm getting concerned <laughs> that I have to match. Also, and this is this is probably the if I made it through the uh, you know he thinks I'm fat comment. This was this is one that I, I this would be hard for me. Buys him a dog without asking. Uh, that one passes too. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm okay with it. We do need to point out it was a hideous Chinese crested. Those are just ugly, ugly dogs. But it kind of borders into the territory of looking like Stripe from Gremlins. So it's so ugly, it's kind of cute. It's got an unappealing groom job right. as well. Yeah. I'll also say this, Russ, that I think that at a certain point, you leave the realm of saying, oh, this is plaid. You're really entering into the Burberry, like, it doesn't count <laughs> as plaid anymore, plaid. No, you're right. That's a good way of putting it. This woman uh, calls your mother and acquires and probably, I guess, meets somehow and gets uh, face morph photo pictures of you as a child and make and her as a child and then makes a photo album of, of your future children together, even though you've only known each other for, let's just say, six days. For all the latter millennials that will end up listening to this podcast, there was, in fact, texting and email in 2003. <laughs> it's true so this to a much lesser degree this has actually happened to me really? <laughs> uh yeah i i dated someone that after three months was planning children's names um that uh that was not a deal breaker but that was certainly fuel to the fire sweet girl Wait, was Sarah right? Did uh, did she name your daughter ahead of time? Like, it, what, really? Okay. It, it was not Sarah. <laughs> not Sarah. Okay, then. Uh, and then, uh, just this is a general one that I had to write down. Cries easily and has major mood swings out of nowhere. Unprompted. Deal breaker. Um, I, I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Brian pleads the fifth. All right, uh, so... Fully invades your bathroom with all of her items, including the I, I, the mirror closet. Nah, I don't care. Yeah, that doesn't matter. If you've lived with a girl, you wind up with bobby pins all over your house for no apparent reason. Man, I'm OCD. I need to She's... have my I need to have my stuff be very organized. And so if I've been if, if I've been totally evicted out of the the area, then uh, that's not good. So I I have a harder time with this one than you guys do. My closet yeah. is in our unfinished basement. Sarah had three upstairs, and I'm in the cold basement. I just need a space, though. You know that sounds about right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you'd like it cold anyway. So uh, she implies that she has Nick's tickets, but instead uh, dupes you into a Celine Dion concert. Come on, Celine Dion. I'd be alright with that. I'd I see Celine. Yeah, there were worse tickets to get than uh, Celine Dion. So it's not oh, like you absolutely. would get duped into an Iggy Azalea concert. Imagine a full length Super Bowl halftime show. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I would have had a rough time with that. 
Yeah, so for people who uh, listen in the future, uh, this is coming off the heels of uh, the Super Bowl where Maroon 5 had the stage. And so Chad's over at the house and we're watching the game and he's like, oh, this isn't very good at all. And I was just like, I think you're going to wish they, they uh, stuck around because Travis Scott comes out. And then tra- uh, Chad's new to Travis Scott. And suddenly I was like, you want Maroon 5 back now, don't you? He goes, yeah. Yeah, I guess I do. I, I actually don't. I didn't know who Travis Scott was. I had no idea. And then, uh, I, big, I and then Big Boy comes out because it's 2003. So, uh. yeah. <laughs> and, and he does like the way you move. Anyway, uh, back to, oh, off that. Uh, so, uh, girl invades guys' poker night with cucumber sandwiches, tells them to stop smoking, and uh, blows asks you to blow your nose into her tissue, kind of mothering you in front of uh, your friends. With the exception of the tissue. I think all that sounds pretty standard. Yep, I agreed. Okay. Let's last one. Stage is a therapist with the sole purpose of emasculating you. I mean, isn't that the point of a therapist? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So, so that's the hit list here. And uh, actually, I want to point out that Kate Hudson actually does a pretty good job. If you get a standard off-the-shelf. Uh, female performer to do a lot of these things where it's just a pretty face and they kind of don't have a lot going on for them. These scenes probably fall flatter. And so she does have some comedic timing. She does have the ability to improv. A lot of these scenes are improv and taken to a, a different level. I personally would like to see them exaggerated more. And I would like to see other people going through it, like the friends commenting to each other, whispering to each other and saying funny things, laughing at him. Uh, as well as talking to him like, man, have you considered, have you taken a look at yourself? So um, I, I think that there's not a good sounding board to help bring you back to, this is crazy, man. Uh, I don't know about you guys. Uh, thoughts on that, Brian? Um, I would say that the one part of this movie, uh, in terms of your ancillary characters, that sort of rubbed me the wrong way is... It was just a little too uh, uniform. It was a little too, like, you had the, here's five seconds with his friends. Here's five seconds with her friends. Stereotypical guy conversation. Stereotypical girl conversation. It, It just felt like the whole movie was glitzed up to be this thing, but it didn't have any real soul where you felt like these were real people doing real things. Mm, okay and uh chad as somebody who better understands rom-coms and it's not about all of that sometimes it's about a simplified perhaps unrealistic but uh fluffy version of uh two beautiful people just falling in love uh what do you think what are your thoughts here having seen many of these kate hudson tackling these comedic scenes and whatnot oh yeah she she does a great job and her purpose in this film is to punish and make a guy uncomfortable and for the women and really the people they bring along that watch this film to enjoy that and kind of it's almost like a revenge flick for a lot of them so she has great timing she's got great chemistry and like you said she improved a lot of the things they genuinely surprised matthew mcconaughey it she did a wonderful job yeah i think she's one of the real strengths of this movie and as we start to talk about kate hudson brian do you want to give us a cast rundown Absolutely. So as mentioned, we have Kate Hudson in the uh, half of the leading role as Andy Anderson, frustrated journalist and column writer. 
You have Matthew McConaughey, kind of in the heyday of his rom-com career, uh, as Ben Barry. Also, I thought it was interesting that both, again, with the symmetry piece that was kind of annoying me, both of them have names that are alliterations. So it's one of those, like, all right, I get it. Like, just, they're they're the same person, but different. Just stop. (laughs) Uh, He's the advertising executive and ladies' man. We have Catherine Hahn as Michelle, uh, friend, girlfriend number one. Uh, Annie Parisi, who is Jeannie, girlfriend number two. Adam Goldberg, guy friend number one. Thomas Lennon, guy friend number two. From Reno 911. Uh, yeah. Uh, Michael Michelle as uh, Judy Spears and Shalom Harlow as Judy Green, the conniving, backstabbing ad execs. Do exist in real life, by the way. And we also have Robert Klein as Philip Warren, the that's Ben's boss. Um, Who would probably get in trouble in the then, Me Too uh, movement. Baby, right. Baby uh, Newworth, who is Jenna, or uh, sorry, Lana Jong, and that's Annie's advertising boss. Yeah. I thought I had found an interesting note here. But this movie was actually originally set to go to Gwyneth Paltrow. And then as we were talking about uh, part of the success of this movie being Kate Hudson uh, and her timing, I cannot even picture... Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow attempting this role. Yeah, it's just a different um, personality. Right? Wasn't wasn't Kate Hudson also in the uh, the Dane Cook one where he's he's crappy to women to get them to go back to their previous boyfriends that they've broken up with? Do you know what I'm talking about? I thought that was uh, that's Jessica Alba, isn't it? Yeah, you I think that was... yeah. Good luck, Chuck. Yeah. That would be that would be Jessica Alba. Yeah, Kate, Kate, Kate Hudson does have several romantic comedies under her belt, yeah, including Fool's Gold with Matthew McConaughey. Which, whatever you think of this movie, uh, Fool's Gold is the bottom of the genre. So the two of them work together again on Fool's Gold later, and uh, without going too far into it, what is that movie, Chad? Oh, they're on an island it's another set piece just made for matthew mcconaughey to be shirtless uh my wife Mm -hmm. loved that part uh but even she will admit at the end like she looked at me and at the end of the movie we saw this in theaters and goes i'm sorry so so she knew um it's just one of those crazy things happen to two kind of strangers and they get haunted by someone i don't remember much matthew mcconaughey was shirtless Kate Hudson's good-looking. It's two good-looking people in a terrible movie. What is a movie that it, you saw that you had to say sorry for when you were done to Sarah? Alexander. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. Uh, I have, uh, I've not seen Fool's Gold, but I've seen Alexander and uh, Sight Unseen. Uh, uh, Alexander's probably worse. I lost movie I, privileges for a year, and it was well-deserved. I saw Alexander as a midnight premiere in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I did not move, leave the movie theater until 4 a.m. It was brutal. Yeah. Oh, and sure. by the way, uh, it was Dane Cook with Kate Hudson in the, the Bad Date movie, and it was called My Best Friend's Girl. That did happen. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. You know what's kind of funny? Uh, Kate Hudson was doing an interview, and she gets asked all the time, what is her favorite romantic comedy? And uh, she doesn't like them. So that's pretty funny because... She's kind of known for that. She she never is able to answer that question, even though people are always disappointed by that. So what do you guys think about the director, Donald Petrie, here? 
Uh, I like him. Uh, he's definitely done in several movies, uh, even in the ro- romantic comedy category that I have really enjoyed. How about you guys? Yeah, like some of the some of his hits include Mystic Pizza, Grumpy Old Men, which actually I, I like that one. Um, I remember I remember seeing a movie called Richie Rich when I was a kid, starring Macaulay Culkin. Uh, it was actually kind of pleasant. I don't know if it holds up, but I liked it as a kid. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Miss Congeniality in 2000, uh, obviously How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days in 2003, and Welcome to Mooseport, which is a Ray Romano movie. That was not very good. And then another movie called Just My Luck, which was another romantic comedy. So those are some of his highlights. Yeah, I'm not sure if I've seen anything of his after Miss Congeniality, or, or well, I guess uh, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days is after that, but it may have been after this one, then. Welcome to yep. Mooseport was disappointing. It has Hackman and uh, Ray Romano, and it just, uh, I, I don't know. It, it was, uh, it seemed like it was just a straight to a DVD kind of movie. It just didn't have much going for it. So um, I haven't seen uh, some of them, but like I said, Grumpy Old Men's definitely my favorite of the ones that he's responsible for. Yeah, Miss Congeniality is charming too. A lot of that goes to Sandra Bullock, but it's, it's fun. Chad, as somebody who's seen more of this genre than either Brian or I, what are the tricks to being a good director when it comes to doing a film like this? I don't even know that it's director so much as just the right casting. You have to have likable people with good chemistry. Go easy on the cheesiness. This movie, you know, it, it kicks out some cheesy lines a little too frequently for my taste. But uh, just casting the right people and uh, letting the script be fun, not too serious, but stay out of the cheesy realm so i guess it's a little little difficult to make sure it's not too corny yeah and like i said earlier with with just how perfect the symmetry was on the guy and girl side and how everything was just a little too glitzed up none none of them ever look like they're just going to work or something it's always the leather jacket and the dark wash jeans on a motorcycle i didn't get a feeling of real world you know, everything, everybody has a neat apartment. Like even the girl who's a wreck, her place looks nice. You just don't get the feeling that these people are actually living life. You, you feel like you're watching a movie. Well, I think that's a large part of the appeal. Like, so I, again, we may not be the target audience. And before we go too deep into like cutting these movies up, I mean. May not. I th- yeah. Okay. We're not the target <laughs> audience for these movies. Yeah. A bunch of people in their mid thirties uh, or a bunch of dudes in their mid thirties are not the goal for this. But the concept of this kind of movie and it's clearly popular because they keep making them as and they keep making money is that you're painting a perhaps surreal picture of something that's really wonderful feel good kind of thing and it's uh it's almost like a fairy tale in modern day times where you know a entry-level person who works at a magazine that's like a gossipy magazine could have this really nice apartment with a doorman and everything in manhattan uh and that it's in the city and that you can bump into some charming southern man in new york which i don't understand how benjamin barry is in new york they've never explained that he seems like he's uh he's the least new york person in new york um and uh but the the it's that southern draw. Yeah, absolutely. And he wears a Duke shirt to add to it. It's just like, is this, I don't know. Does he think he's in North Carolina? I don't know. <laughs> Could be his alma mater. But yeah, for everybody who I've spoken to over the years who appreciates this kind of movie, they just say, I just simply want to get the warm, fuzzy feeling. I don't want to be sad. 
And I think a lot of my favorite romantic comedies are actually quite messy. They involve people yelling at each other. They have tears. Uh, they have friends that uh, either make life harder on them or there's sticky situations with parents like meet the parents or something like that where something, um, you know, like life's messy. And in that mess, there's an enormous potential for humor. And I think that uh, chick flick rom-coms don't necessarily achieve that level of laughter that uh, perhaps our target audience is looking for. And that occurs because they're just trying to make you feel good. And it's in the mess of life. It's in the conflict. It's in the pain of life that frequently there is really, really good humor to find. Ch Chad, how do you feel about that one? What is the difference in a chick flick versus a romantic comedy? I think it's how you address the the female lead, like the the chick flicks are usually from a female protagonist. Um, nine times out of ten, there are some chick flicks that do not have male romance in them, but uh, nine times out of ten, uh, the male is there to kind of conflate the female's goals. In this case, uh, Matthew McConaughey is kind of the foil to her losing a guy in ten days. He's also there as the object at the end to win, Um by realizing that she is kind of the prize herself. Um, you know, there's always some made-up conflict. In this case, it's the frost yourself ball, but for whatever reason, they break up, fall apart. It's, it's very formulaic, but it's kind of a shot of dopamine of, hey, it all works out in the end. Everyone's happy. The beautiful people get to be together. It's great. We're happy. We had a few laughs. That's it. I mean, it's... Uh, to me, it'd be like a B-level horror movie. You're not expecting much from it. You just want to watch some people die. Um, <laughs> you know, rom -com, no, I like that. <laughs> Rom-coms can be all over the place. Uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is a romantic comedy. Groundhog's Day is a romantic comedy. Really good. Uh, they are... Uh, uh, a lot of them have a little bit more time to delve into the characters or examine a greater theme uh, lost in well, translation i know you don't like lost in translation russell but uh Boo. you know that's that's another romantic comedy and uh they just i think they have time to dig a little deeper i do think it's funny how many times lost in translation has come up on this podcast um Actually, one of my favorite romantic comedies of all time, and, and it's strictly because it does break the mold where you don't have the usual, this is what happens and it all ends up all, all good in the end, is um, uh, Chasing Amy. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic romantic comedy. And, uh, I mean, just, you know, the ending of it, it's it deals with so much, and it does it in a witty way, and easily, want, if not Kevin Smith's best, definitely one of his best. How was Ben Affleck involved in two movies where he's attempting to convert a girl who's a lesbian to straight? Geely, anyone? Oh, man, no? I haven't seen that I movie. I never saw Geely. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what's the other one? Remember that story I told you about being in a Barnes & Noble and going through all the movies that, you know, you would just normally say, like, I'll probably never see that movie? He's seen them. Yeah. Geely's brutal. Honest. They actually uh, they offered it a couple years back. I think it was Comcast, but it was like pay-per-view, and it said basically, see the movie so bad it could end someone's career. No, it didn't. <laughs> they both still have careers afterwards. I know. He even got to be Batman. You shouldn't get to be Batman if you do Geely. Trust me. Well, Daredevil was another one. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, you shouldn't That's get to rough. do anything else if you do Daredevil. Another thing that I noticed that uh, we're talking about differences in rom-coms and chick flicks and like how a rom-com can be a chick flick, but a chick flick, sorry, is not necessarily only a rom-com. Sometimes they're, they're sad tear jerkers as well. Um, but it, another thing that I've noticed and some of the things that I love is a really good rom-com, as, as, as uh, Chad was pointing out, whether it be Groundhog Day or The 40-Year-Old Virgin, something about Mary they tend to have a much more interesting set of side characters that go through. And it's in those side characters that provides you some sense of laughter in, in the situation. So if you think of the relationship as being the situation, if you're going through it with somebody, it's going to be a lot funnier. It's kind of like how last week we were doing Coming to America. Uh, Coming to America is so much funnier because he's got his partner traveling with him from another land, and he has a very different experience of the whole situation. So if you're watching your friend go through this relationship and it's up and down and tumultuous, you will have, there's a great deal of opportunity by simply having another perspective, whereas the two friends of of Ben's character in this uh, are very, very undeveloped. And at least Catherine Hahn's character, we do know who she is. We do know that she has some motivations. We do know that she has a problem of self-esteem. We know that she has trouble with dating. I'd say one of the best parts of this movie has to do with the development of Catherine Hahn's character and being able to actually be a person that Kate Hudson's character, Andy, can interact with. I don't know if you agree with that one, Brian. Sure. I mean, no, that's that's all accurate. And, and like you said, these these uh, these friend characters they do play a vital role in the rom-com realm um i didn't think there was enough of it in this particular movie they kept doing the bad date then shoot back to the guy perspective girl uh, perspective and then repeat but um i like it to be a little a bit more haphazard i could i i would have liked to seen this movie be a little messier I, I would too, and I'd even like to see some scenes where Matthew McConaughey's sharing some stories we don't see that are so funny that they're maybe funnier without a visual that you, you have to use your imagination on. It would be funny if he said things like, you know, uh, she she took my uh, she took my Xbox out of the house and, and sold it to charity or whatever. Like you didn't see that, um, you know. Uh, you take down a picture of. Uh, you know, Peyton Manning and put up a picture of uh, Tom Brady because I know you like football, but he's, uh, I I like him better because he's more handsome or something like that. Like uh, there are small little things. I don't, I'm just doing stuff off the top of my head at this point. But my point is you can do these jokes that you don't see on screen and, and telling them to his friends are humiliating and or funny and they help him cope with it. But it just adds to the different way of laughing. Sure. Let's talk about the atmosphere here a little bit. We did we did talk. So we were in New York. It's Manhattan. Everything. It, this is like the most expensive version of New York, but it makes it seem like it's very attainable for everybody. Again, it's it's a fairy tale. It romanticizes this. It, they don't want to show you living in a crummy little shoebox with four roommates in order to make it in New York as a staff writer on a magazine, which is probably closer to the reality. Again, there's probably an enormous amount of humor that you could have from the fact that she's jammed into a tiny little apartment with some of her coworkers uh, in Manhattan, that would be funny. But um, again, this isn't, we have to constantly keep reminding ourselves, this isn't just about the laughs. It's, it's just about the feeling and I want to feel good the whole time, pretty much. What do you guys think about the New York setting uh, and as well as Andy's work environment versus Ben's work environment, as well as their apartments and their differences there and whether they 
do express the characters or don't. It's the same thing you get from like, if you want to go television, same thing you get from like friends or how I met your mother. Uh, if you want to go other films, I mean, there's probably a plethora where it just, or uh, you can even go with sex in the city on this for HBO television. Um, it, it's this thing where everybody's got this nice loft apartment that, you know, my brother lives in New York and I always hear about the struggle to find living space. And I just, I don't know. They, they just make it seem like no matter what you're doing for a living, you've got this nice place in New York. No, that's fair. And I just, I want to comment though, that the apartments don't really reflect the characters well at all. I think Benjamin's apartment is rather empty. It's, it's trying to imply sophisticated, but I mean, he has a lack of art on the walls, just like a tiny little picture of a car on the wall. Everything's like, I mean, it's almost, uh, I won't go hotel because it doesn't feel like a hotel, but it, uh, it's very void of anything. There's not a lot of books around. And like you were talking about How I Met Your Mother, you go to Barney's apartment, you know, he's got a stormtrooper in the room, but everything else, he's got all this really expensive glass, uh, you know, glass table, you know, like fancy furniture and stuff like that. And you're like, well, this guy makes a lot of money. He's into entertaining women. This is a this is a bachelor pad. And he's also, there's a little part of him that's a big dork inside. And you can see all of that yeah, but it- in Barney's apartment. And similarly, Ted and... Marshall's apartments are say so much. These physical environments don't say anything about these characters. Yeah, but if you want to go with uh, job specific, if you're an advertising executive in New York City, your office is your home. And his Spartan lifestyle kind of s- sums up what his mom said. Like, oh, honey, he doesn't bring anybody back here. You think? Okay. Yeah. I think he was probably up until that point in time the kind of guy that went home with women that he picked up at bars. And his home is his little escape for the few hours that he gets to spend there and for guys' night. And then he spends all of his time at work. And looking at his work office, I don't see any reason why you would go home anyway. So my complaint that it's overly or that's void of character is you believe that that probably is summing his somewhat empty lifestyle up before he meets her then okay i'll i'll bite on that and look at that a little bit differently then try where you weigh on these atmosphere uh kind of components and the feel of the place it sounds like you're wanting a uh i think friends explained how they could a waitress in manhattan could afford that apartment by saying oh it's rent controlled or whatever <laughs> i think you wanted some hand waving there of uh some rent controlled apartments but but yeah, I mean, Ben's apartment didn't bother me very much. I I think to some extent Andy's place is supposed to be a blank slate. It's so uh, females watching it could kind of insert their own lives into it without having something defining of Andy's in that space. Um, they're supposed to kind of be the character and enjoy the character. Uh, so yeah. Uh, that's an I interesting like... take on that because I was sitting there thinking like she says that she's really into politics and, and an activism and stuff like that. I figured her home would reflect that side of her, but that's an interesting notion that you had that they're trying to make it easily to step into her shoes. If you're watching it, I hadn't considered that. But also if you subtract the guy's night, how much time do they really spend at their homes? I don't know. The first right. date's there and the family yeah, he... thing and the dinner's there. Yeah, he makes the lamb where she cries that she's suddenly vegetarian. Yeah. Oh, I left that one out, but yeah. Uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, 
Some interesting piece of uh, wardrobe. Uh, there's $14.2 million of jewels lent to the film to prepare for the uh, people in this film to frost themselves. Yeah, that necklace alone that Kate Hudson wears, uh, I think they said it was valued at $6.8 so that was real. That actually took me by surprise. I would be nervous, even as, an, even as a high-paid Hollywood actor, if someone said, it doesn't matter what it is, let's not say it's a necklace, let's say it's a hat. This hat is worth $6 million. <laughs> would you like to wear it? Heck no, I don't want to wear it. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't it. even like, I don't like looking at it. I feel like my gaze <laughs> is going to tarnish it for about 100K. So, uh, you know, I was, it was an early dating situation for me and Mary that uh, someone... Uh, it was a neighbor of hers and a very close friend, family friend of theirs had a very nice car. It was a Jaguar. And, uh, you know, that's a car I, I like, you know, perhaps even to some degree, one of many versions of a dream car for me. And uh, he's like, do you want to drive it? And I was just like, I got behind it and like drove 10 miles per hour because it was just like, don't mess it up. Don't mess this up. Like, don't bang into anything. Don't like, don't, don't jam the brake in a way. Cause like, I don't want to be like, Oh, don't, don't touch it like that. So, um, I, I totally missed the whole point. So, and that's how I would be if I were her wearing that necklace. I'd be like, Ugh, don't touch me. Get away from me. <laughs> Not touch me. Early 2000s fashion, Chad. I mean, there were some moments I actually turned to Sarah and I was like, what is with the unbuttoned folded down jeans? <laughs> and my, <laughs> my, my wife was like, do you not remember the 2000s? I try not to. The music was terrible. But uh, she, she's like, that was the style. You show you. Your midriff, you show uh, it was low rise. It's like that was perfectly fine. I'm like, well, it looks stupid now. <laughs> it was a time of, uh, I'd say, the '90s uh, bagginess and stuff like that uh, was hitting a saturation point in the early 2000s. There definitely are some very unusual uh, fashion statements. Somehow, Matthew McConaughey avoided the uh, bleached highlight and frosted tips at this uh, movie, and he got off with uh, just regular hair so uh uh but that was pervasive at this time period too i uh funny story while we're on the early 2000s fashion i i had the bleached hair so i i rem i watched that scene in uh, 21 jump street where jonah hill is back in high school with like blonde <laughs> hair and the braces uh that feels like my 10th grade year with a very baggy pair of jeans so um yeah, I definitely relate to some funny early 2000s fashion. Any other thoughts on uh, what people were wearing here? I thought it was, uh, I thought, I just, I, I don't know, time, so much time has passed. I didn't have anything wrong with it. I think that Kate Hudson's gold dress is fairly iconic in the, you know, uh, halls of rom-coms. I think it's it's one of the standout pieces. It's definitely something I remembered from this. Um, as far as uh, clothing styles of the late 90s, early 2000s, I mean, just as a guy, I always like the, the slinky top with the baggy-ish jeans and stuff like that. But, you know, it, it, things change. Beautiful women will be beautiful in whatever they're wearing. That's true. And uh, that yellow iconic dress that you mentioned, and I really am not, I'm, I'm not looking for this or whatever, but you just can't miss it. Uh, she is, like, uh, wearing no bra in your face. And uh, I just, I don't know. Like, normally, I, I, I ask Mary, it's like, is that normal? And she goes, at least you'd normally put like these little sticky things on there, but uh, clearly they want to play that up. So, Yeah, but that Chanel dress is very iconic. That was just, that was perfect for her form, her height. Um, just uh, Brian's right, it is 
absolutely iconic as far as uh, romantic comedies and scenes. Other funny Kate Hudson moment. I noticed uh, there her works. She has not one, not two, not three, but I, I by my count, four unbuttoned buttons on her uh, work shirt. Uh, like uh, she, it's very, very open, and uh, that that's another one of those funny things that you're talking about in today's political climate. Like uh, uh, that, that was just that that hit me as like as like wow, that's a very open shirt for being at work. So uh, again, there were no there were no males in her office though. Were there not? There was no. there was one guy in the meeting. Yeah, was yeah, there? yeah. There I was forgot a, about him. One yeah, guy. Yeah, and they implied that he was gay, but yes, good point. <laughs> Soundtrack all over the place. Uh, Brian, what are your thoughts on uh, some of the music here? I enjoyed at least half the songs I heard on this, but that's because they're from artists that I followed throughout the '90s and and are implemented a lot in rom coms, whether for you know good or evil. Yeah. Yeah, I thought how it was really interesting how uh, split up it was. There, you got different eras, you got different genres. It doesn't go together as well as I thought. Yeah, I don't think it necessarily meshes well, but they're all songs that you can kind of be like, ah, oh, romantic comedy. I think oh. that comes from over-focusing on lyrics, personally, because they're looking for the right lyrics at the moment. But um, Exactly. These, uh, It felt heavy-handed to me. Let's let's run through this for just a second because Matthew McConaughey, when he's first introduced on a motorcycle, it's who do you love? I mean, come on. We start with that. Um, then uh, back at his place, the music changes from it's getting hot in here to let's stay together. Hooray mm-hmm. for foreshadowing. I mean, you're so vain. It, it doesn't really fit, but it's a fun song, I guess, for them to play and to return to. I was going to say, it sets it up for later because that's that's about the event. Wasn't Carly Simon one of the CDs she replaces in a CD player? Yes. It is. And like yeah. you said, like there's much worse things they have replaced. Uh, you know, if, if someone took out yeah. Nelly and put Carly Simon in, I'd be like, thank you. I think we're going to be great together. But, uh, <laughs> but like, love somebody like you. And then when they're in the shower together, it's playing Feels Like Home to Me after she talks about it, uh, his home. And he, you're at his home. Yeah, yeah, and then the Anywhere You Go, I'll Follow You Down as he's racing through traffic on his bike. It was just, for me, it was super heavy-handed. And kind of what you said, Russell, they're, they're trying to match the scene to the lyrics instead of just letting the music stand on its own. Yeah, I got a question, Petrie, on that, on some of the music choices for sure. I'd rather the mood and tone of the music. I personally, I really like m- music to reflect the time. And uh, I, I think if you get music that's, I don't know, let's put a cutoff of definitely within, I don't know, let's say eight years back and current is a good place to be if you're trying to make a trendy movie like this. And then similar, so like, you know, going and getting old songs by the Gin Blossoms or like, like Who Do You Love? It pulls you out to some degree. I mean, in a weird way, that like girl pop guitar song that's playing at the opening of the movie, it honestly feels like the tone of the movie. It feels like that. Oh, this is warm. This is fuzzy. You know, something in the vein of like a Liz Fair, where it's like, you know, it's a little bit of power, empowering for women or whatever. It's got a little bit of energy to it. So it's not totally flat and boring or anything like that. But on the other hand, it's bright, upbeat and has a pop sensibility to it. If you did all music like that, I almost think that it's congruent with the mood. Some of these songs, while I also like them, Brian, I just don't think they complement the vibe that we're going for. But that's just me. No, I agree. But again, when you're watching a movie that isn't really set up 
for you and you hear a song you like, you're like, oh, I like that song. <laughs> That's fair. Fair enough. All right. So uh, Marvin Hamlish is makes an appearance in here. He's one of the few people who have an EGOT, an Emmy, a Tony, a Grammy, and an Oscar. So, uh, but then he has to play Carly Simon's. Uh, this is actually one. This is this is probably one of my favorite scenes. He's like, "Can you play so vain? Uh, you're so vain." He's like, "It's not one of my songs." He's like, "Can you work with me?" <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so there's a funny, interesting thing that also at the same party, there are two songs that are also played in the background. One is from Audrey Hepburn's uh, films uh, of Sabrina, 1954, the Sabrina theme is playing. And one is from Breakfast at Tiffany's, uh, which is a 1961 Hepburn movie. Uh, and that's Moon River. So a uh, little bit of a callback to some films that were probably better and more ins- or well not better but i should say inspired of uh the, the the tone of this movie so that i do like in terms of the soundtrack so those were nice touches i yeah. actually didn't pick up on that let's go to look for this uh chad do you have any look for this moments at the beginning when they're going through all the articles that uh annie or andy has written one of the covers has a model on it that's actually Catherine Heigl. Um, so she she was in Knocked Up, uh, Grey's Anatomy. She was also in another chick flick, 27 Dresses. I don't recommend it. Please don't. But uh, it's out there. Yeah. Uh, Brian, look for this. My look for this is going to be Adam Goldberg. Work friend, male friend number one. I always thought it was cool that uh, that he was he played in another uh, McConaughey movie, which was Days been confused yes that's a good that's so a good not their first time uh not their first time working together he was also one of the soldiers in saving private ryan yes he was so when you talk about different uh roles that actors have played over the years i don't know that petrie is a particularly scrupulous director because there's a lot of these little moments but some of the i, I had to point out one for sure uh mcconaughey definitely has a, a a ring on his finger when he's in uh the bathroom going through the uh like you know saying that his uh bathroom is full of maxi pads and other feminine products and stuff like that like he puts his hand up on the glass and it's just like that's a strange over oversight that they didn't catch that in wardrobe so he like puts his hand up on the mirror very much has a ring on so um, yeah yeah that's true uh, that 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 one just like stuck out to me. Another one that I thought was really funny. I noticed that he, when he goes to get the soda, so he like runs up and he doesn't have time. Like like the guy like the guy who's a little bit slow hands in the soda and like he dashes back off, doesn't put a lid on it, you know, just like keeps going. But then when he gets back, he hands her this very pristine looking, uh, you know, has straw and with a plastic lid on it and like looks very presentable. Um, that's odd. One more of those inconsistencies is they get hit by a mud puddle when they're uh, out riding the motorcycle during the day. And when they pull up at home, they're completely clean. So uh, then they go back into the bathroom, then they're dirty again. But then there's another scene in the bathroom where her hair is curly now and she's clean. Um, Are they clean or dirty? I can't figure this out. Depends on if they were listening to Christina Aguilera at any point in time during their uh, trip. (laughs) Uh, Chad, do you have any other look for this moments? One that was kind of perplexing. Again, I'm going to refer to the beginning of this film. And Andy's writing this big political piece that she wants to do about how to bring peace to Tajikistan. This was presumably due to their civil war. 
But what's got me confused is she's writing this in, you know, 2002, 2003. There'd been a peace accord for six years. So I have no, <laughs> no idea what she was talking about. Well, it's as new as the gin blossoms uh, were for this song, for this movie. So, um, Did it ever give a time frame of when this is actually happening? It's true, but I'm just judging by the fashions and everything like that. It's assumed present of 2003, I'm guessing. Hmm. Yeah. I, no, I never thought about it, but you know, playing gin blossoms and stuff, it could easily be like 95, 96. Um, maybe. I don't know. I wish they had said something if that were the case, but yeah. Could I be. feel like her hair is st- too straight to be 1995 or 96. Maybe. Yeah, moments in this movie. Um, and then I have uh, one more that uh, Kate Hudson, as we mentioned, impro- improvised a number of the scenes, like when she like throws the vegetables around at the people. Uh, you know, the director knew it and she knew it, but everybody else didn't know it, so that was a genuine surprise on their part. Um, and then another one that she did, uh, she comes in with the dog, and then she just starts really going to town, like kissing him, like really over the top in front of everybody. And he does seem surprised. Well, that's not in the script. It just she went with it. And or this is what happens when you're Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Probably so. Yeah. It's time to ask, uh, Chad, how does this movie affect you? I feel like we we all have either dated or known someone who's dated someone like Andy at when she's in her worst moments or you see those cringeworthy moments, uh, she kind of conjured up, like I said, uh, an old relationship of mine to a much lesser degree at one point. So we've seen these clingy, jealous, insecure, baby talking girlfriends. And it was kind of easy to empathize with Ben, even though he's doing this for scumbaggy reasons. So at least from a male point of view, uh, it, it makes you feel bad for Ben and, uh, just like, the craziness that he's putting up up with. Yeah, that's actually a good point. I didn't we didn't mention this. This movie does seem to go out of its way along those lines to, uh, uh, I guess, appeal to male audiences. Like they they jam a lot of NBA references in there. If you work at Composure magazine, the odds of you being an avid Knicks fan doesn't seem real high, and that you she's this cool girl who's into playing cards and stuff like that. Um, I want to say that I don't know if you guys agree with this or not, but it seems to me like this movie went out of its way to have some male appeal when you watch it. Oh yeah, I agree. So, I would say the male appeal is there strictly to, to further the plot though, like to really instill in you that if they ever gave it a real go, they'd be perfect together. I just think it could be, uh, it could be more one-sided is all I'm saying. And uh, Chad might attest to that. I, I'm assuming other chick flicks are less for guys than this movie. Oh yeah. There's, they gave Matthew McConaughey some personality where there's considerably uh, more chick flicks where the guy is basically a blank slate to love the girl. And that's his purpose. Yeah. And that, that's kind of what I was alluding to. And uh, I agree with that. Um, sorry for that tangent, but Brian, how does this movie affect you? I would say in the realm of three hours and 45 minutes, which is now how much time I've put toward it in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 roughly an hour and 55 minutes so scrap the credits and maybe a couple times where i got up to get a glass of water or a sandwich and yeah about three hours and 45 minutes of my life that's one of the funniest answers for this segment ever um <laughs> okay <laughs> um you know 
I actually had a hard time relating this one. I don't, I did not have an extensive dating uh, history, so I don't, I certainly don't have any bad relationships to even empathize with uh, Ben on, uh, you know, crazy girlfriends or anything like that. So one thing that I did notice, though, is Andy is a young, aspiring writer, and she wants to do something that matters, and she wants to be part of something. And I think that that's something that I I personally haven't had this happen to me, but I know a lot of other people in the architecture field get out of school and they're told by older architects to just draw the drawings and basically they're treated like cheap labor or, or draftsmen and they don't, they're not paid to necessarily think. And it can be hard if you're not in a supportive environment. Now, obviously, there's a lot of great places to work and I'm sure this is like this in other fields, but there are some places who just view a college uh, graduate as somebody who's just a go for attitude and just kind of do this for me, do that. And if you can prove yourself, uh, which can be tough to do in certain situations, you can earn that trust and support to go on and do other things. But uh, in this movie, we see that Kate Hudson kind of gets it, but it's not really what she was looking for. And so, so often that first job that you get where you're not really valued and you're not really, you were never taken that seriously. You need to go somewhere else, maybe three years later or something like that, where people realize like, okay, you got a little bit of experience and then you realize, oh, this guy's not an idiot. And um, that's a very, very painful process for a lot of people. And so, um, again, I was very fortunate. I had a really good boss who, uh, you know, let me get involved with the designs and stuff from the beginning and was very supportive of me and I grew and learned, but it's not always common. So that, I thought that was, I thought that was a really nice touch of this movie, uh, the frustration that she goes from her boss. So, well, I think I also think it's fantastic. Matthew McConaughey's character wants to branch out from what he was doing, and at the risk of sounding super basic, I would have loved to have been doing what he was doing originally. I mean, you look at an office like that, you look at the kind of ad campaigns that they were kind of tailoring. That would be fantastic. I would do that in a heartbeat. Little did his boss know when he said you can't sell luxury that Mr. McConaughey would be selling Lincolns years later. <laughs> I just drive it because I like it. I just feel good and like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, guys. You know what time it is? It's my favorite time. It's superlative time. You ready? I'm ready. Absolutely. All right. MVP, Chad. Kate Hudson. Uh, we've, you've covered a lot of her improvisation, but she's thoroughly likable even through the craziness. She's adorable. She does a great job of switching the personalities of good Andy and crazy Andy, turning up that extra annoyance factor with the baby talking. And just uh, even during the Princess Sophia scene, I mean, she's just so out there and crazy. It's it's fun to watch. And the chemistry she had with Matthew McConaughey seemed genuine. I agree. And she, she got more laughs out of me than I expected uh, after some point, because I realized what kind of movie we were dealing with at some point and again i'm not the target audience but i was genuinely impressed from her from how much she made me laugh uh and so i'm i'm gonna double that i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna second that what about you brian mvp i'm gonna go with uh baby new earth uh she's uh, kate hudson's boss and the only reason i'm i'm going with her well i shouldn't say the only reason but the main reason i'm going with her is out of all of the characters that aren't named Ben and uh, or basically Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson 
out of all the other characters, she's the only one that made me laugh out loud multiple times when she had that line where she's like, do you see any patches on my outfit? No, because I'm not your <laughs> scout master. I'm your boss. Like she had multiple zingers where I, it had me cracking smiles and I didn't get that from a lot of the other supporting characters. Okay. Uh, I wonder if that character was whitewashed. Her name is Lana Zhang and she wears these very, um, you know, East Asian kind of dresses and her haircut is and cut in such a way. I don't know if she just likes Asian influence things or if this character was supposed to be Asian. Uh, I was, I found myself wondering that as I looked at the cast list. It makes any difference. She's from Australia. <laughs> no. It's <laughs> going over in that, that neck of the woods. There's a lot of, uh, you know. Uh, um, so, uh, best supporting actor, uh, Chad. Going with B.B. Newworth. Uh, she's, she's not as mean as her usual characters. You know, people will recognize her as Lilith from Frasier or Cheers. Oh, but... yeah. Okay. But uh, every time she was on screen, I found myself wishing she had a little bit more screen time, that she was a little bit meaner or tweaked Andy a little more. Uh, best supporting actor, Brian. Uh, well, not to, to copy my, uh, my yeah, MVP. Uh, I'll go with, no, I was actually going to do uh, Celia Weston as a close second. I think she plays that, uh, not suburban mom, but the, you know, she's lived long enough to be a little crass kind of I, I liked her vibe and what she added to the movie okay oh uh that's glenda who is ben's mother okay yeah and for me i'm gonna go with katherine hahn i don't know if i'm giving her credit for her subsequent work that i do like i love her in stepbrothers um and the goods is another really funny movie with her but um i liked her scene as the therapist it was so preposterous that it wouldn't convince anybody those glasses and that, <laughs> that whole setup is just in an apartment i particularly liked her in that scene and again she's really one of the only like she definitely is the only friend character obviously ben's parents have depth and are interesting and uh reflect who he is but she's the only person that really gives you an opportunity to see who andy is that she's a caring friend and that she she does have a good time with uh guys whereas katherine hahn is plagued by trouble and the other thing i really liked about her in the end her boyfriend comes back and it was never her to begin with and really all these things that they're writing all these articles about and saying that you know don't do these things and it's kind of shallow and like telling you how to live your life in the end if you're a good person and you're a genuine person even if you might be a little nerdy or, or maybe you're not as pretty as kate hudson guess what there's probably your nerd out there too and i liked that part of the movie a lot actually and so um um, I'm, I've been craving for more depth throughout the other parts of the movie. And if anybody did it, Catherine Hahn's character and her performance did do that. So I'm going to give that for a supporting actor there. Right on. Yeah. Hidden gem. Brian. I'm uh, sorry. Uh, Chad. Going with Adam Goldberg is Tony. Uh, he just kind of reminds me of hanging out with you guys. He is completely unhelpful to Ben in any situation. <laughs> he he often makes the situation worse. He's egging on Ben like, yeah, go ahead, put on the shirt and just playing into Andy's hands. And he's just the perfect example of the friends I have. And I, I liked him. All right. All right. Adam Glover, you can hang out with us. Um, Brian, Hidden Jim. Hidden Jim, I'm going to go with the dog. I think the dog did a really great job peeing exactly where he was supposed to to screw up uh, 
basically a pool table and a card table and you can tell Ben's like super into the dog no matter what and I I I, I understood the dog piece cool and it gave him it gave him the idea for his overall uh, masterpiece for the diamonds okay that's fair and uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Michael Michelle uh, and so she plays Judy Spears she's one of the two conniving villainous marketing agents I liked her in this one. She has a sense of being vindictive about her, but she also has this, uh, the cool minimalist, like she also comes off as being like business savvy. I like her in this role. And as I mentioned earlier, I like the device of them being involved here uh, and how they also kind of lead to the unveiling of everybody realizing everybody else's business in the party. I remember the other line that struck me now about that dynamic duo is when Ben walks back into the office and he's, talking to uh adam goldberg and um friend number two and he goes uh we're really gonna have to figure this out quick quick if we're gonna get ahead of lips and legs yes yeah, yeah. as his nicknames for them i was like oh oh gosh they, they flaunted what they had uh, they, they, they were they were really two beautiful women and they, they, they were using what they were using the goods uh so I, I they might not resent that i don't know let's go with uh recast somebody Chad. Robert Klein is Philip Warren. I didn't really th- that was uh, Ben's boss. I didn't think he did a bad job, but I think Brian Cox would be a lot better. Uh, Mr. Warren kind of reminded me of Captain O'Hagan from Super Troopers, so I just really wanted Brian Cox and a little bit more of that almost like drunk attitude in it. Okay. Uh, I like that. No, I think that's solid. Uh, Brian, recast somebody. I think that I could see something more like that 70s show Mom and Dad for his parents. Oh, you know, yeah. just, yeah. just oh, man. I, like I, that. I, I think you you could have pushed the envelope a little bit more. I mean, playing uh, bullshit, the card game and, and everything was good. But I think you could have probably because he said, oh, everybody in my family uh, suffers from uh, extreme Tourette's. And I was like, they're playing a game that's called a certain title. And they don't really cuss outside of that. I think it would have been great if they were just like maybe more. Um, you could even call them southernized New Yorkers, where they've picked up the uh, the foul mouth along with it and and made that a little bit crasser. Uh, I'm, I might be into that. That that seems like a nice touch. Uh, for me, I'm gonna go after Annie Parisi. Uh, I'm gonna make by by casting an intentionally much larger actress in this. I'm demanding more from this role, and by putting Winona Ryder in her shoes along there with Katherine Hahn, and I think we're gonna get a much better movie with uh, a better female friend set there. Uh, I think that Annie Parisi offers literally nothing, and perhaps it's not her fault, but. Uh, because I want something more from this role, I'm going to put somebody who can do more with the role in there. And I like the idea of Winona Ryder. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Best shot of the movie. Chad. I mean, let's face it. This isn't exactly a cinematic masterpiece. No, Petri's uh, not really knocking me out of my shoes for great direction, but uh, there's still got to be a best shot in there somewhere. There were a couple fun shots, but I, I think for me, it's just when we first see Andy in the yellow dress, she spins around it's it's a great shot of kate hudson it makes her appear absolutely stunning the lighting and everything else uh, make up everything that had to go into that shot to make it as iconic uh, a vision as it was i think that's my vote and brian 
I am going to go with uh, all of the zoom out pan shot island, both them driving there and then the boardwalk where he teaches her how to ride a motorcycle. I think it shows some areas in New York a lot of people don't get to see in, in quite such a nice light. It, again, it, it definitely contributes to the fairy tale of New York City that uh, is very expensive and hard to afford, but these people can have it. So I, I, I like what you're saying. It, it does it does fit the feel of the fluffy feels that you want from a movie like this. Mine is going to be the kiss scene in the bathroom. Uh, the lighting in there is actually quite uninspired. This is something that irks me about it, but I do like the low perspective of the camera. She's uh, you know sitting on the toilet and the camera's below her face, but above his face and uh, the distance is blurred out so that it's focused on their face. I thought that 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 was good camera work. Uh, it's a darn shame they didn't have better lighting in there. It's it's time to bring in supplemental lighting and not just give what the uh, ceiling light gives you. Good shot, bad light. Best scene, Chad. The scene where they're in Staten Island playing BS uh, with Ben's family. Uh, Andy's starting to just let her go down and be herself. The family's all fun, except I didn't really dig the Uncle Arthur farting in the corner scene. I thought that was kind of a throwaway gag. But everything else, the antagonizing Ben, the family uh, conspiring against him to help Andy cheat, and then Ben's reaction of just uh, kind of fake storming out anger and them all laughing, I thought that was a charming scene. Okay. And Brian, best scene? Um... You know, I'll I'll actually I'll double up on that. Um, that's one of the things that if I could change something, not to get ahead of ourselves or anything, that was really you know obviously it was their best date. I think it was easily one of the most humanizing parts of the movie uh, for for the whole cast. Um, yeah, I think that could have been longer actually. Okay, uh, might change one thing, and I probably have harped on it too much, so I won't go. I won't belabor the point now, but. Um... They uh, use the side, both male and female characters, uh, uh, like the, the side characters as a sounding board. Uh, make things a little bit messy. I'm not asking to go full-blown, you know, uh, something about Mary or like, you know, meet the parents or where things get really, really messy. And uh, But I, I think that you can use the support characters both to add sincerity as well as elevate the laughs that are there and to call out the absurdity of the situation. So... Um, I just think that there's opportunity to deliver frustration, teasing, uh, coping, reaffirmation, and just the support characters, I think, become extremely important in a movie like this. Um, and they they didn't come through as well as I wanted them to. And I certainly, as Chad can attest to, I'm sure it's worse in many cases of this genre. But I just I see opportunity and I, I want to dive into that here. Best quote. Chad. Well, if you're Matthew McConaughey, I'm going to go with this one. Interested? Seriously, that's a line that only look works if you look and sound like Matthew McConaughey. Well, then she replies with a bunch of one word. Come put back. uh, uh, They go back and forth with one word that you're right. These only work if you're Kate Hudson and Matthew McConaughey. Interest. But yeah, his uh, his actual best quote, I think, is uh, guys, a woman's purse. It's our secret source of power, all right? There are many dark and dangerous things in there that we, the male species, should know nothing about. That's my serious stance on the matter. I, uh, I, I, 
if I just met a girl, I would definitely not go through her purse. Um, no. Oh God, no. I no, dude, that's... I have I have times where Jess, and this is twenty years in. I have times where Jess is like, "Hey, can you grab this out of your purse, or out of my purse?" And I'm like, "I'll just bring you your purse." <laughs> yeah. Guilty. Yeah. Guilty of the yeah. same thing. <laughs> oh yeah. It, it's like it's made of a Venus flytrap, and if I stick my hand in, I'm gonna get bitten. I'm just not taking that risk. <laughs> not getting that hand back. You're gonna lose that arm. That arm's coming off. <laughs> uh, Brian, best quote. I think that I like the uh, not to, to to keep going back to the same thing, but I like the the realization on Kate Hudson's face when the mom says, "Oh, honey, he's never brought anybody back here before. You're the first one." And that's not an exact quote, but that that's it's that look on her face when she's like, "Oh man, I am really doing a bad thing right now." Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That is a, that is that certainly is a turning point for the character. She's been going there but then that that pushes her over the edge for sure um i'm gonna go with uh i like this moment where and i wish i had seen a little more of this uh there's a scene where andy is leaving uh ben's apartment and she's getting into a cab and he's waving to her from up above and uh this is when she's forgotten her purse there of course and so she guarantees another seeing of him but uh as he's waving to her uh she she whispers to herself uh she's uh or sorry, Ben says, you're already falling in love with me. And then Andy says, I'm going to make you wish you were dead. Yeah. yeah. The way she says that, too. Like, I believe her. So I, I really like that side uh, comment, either to the camera or to nobody necessarily, but to yourself. More of that, please, because that was very funny. Um, it's... Uh, We've come through it all. We've uh, we've come to understand this movie far better. So now it's time to give this movie a rating and review. And do you recommend it? Uh, and is it holding up? Chad, five star scale. What do you give? How to lose a guy in ten days? I think I'm get, going to give it a two and a half. Um, no, it is a fun movie. It's cute. Yeah, it's full of stereotypes and kind of shallow characters. But if you're watching a movie like this. Uh, on anything other than the surface level, you're kind of doing it wrong. It's just meant to be a brainless, happy ending movie, and that's exactly what it delivers. Interesting. And uh, it, you're right. You, it does deliver what you signed up for, and it, it, it honestly does do a better job than uh, um, many of them. Uh, you know, uh, I was thinking of this, I forget which website it was. There was a top 100 rom coms movie, and this was at number 33. So uh, it, it is good for its genre. Uh, and that's something that should be considered when rating it. Uh, Brian. I'll just go with a two. Um, I was, I was all set to never watch this movie again. And and then I did. So I think two, two stars for the number of times I've seen it. Wow. I, I actually expected lower from you. Are you holding back? No, Hey, look, it's not horrible. It's not, I, it's just it, like, we've talked about over the course of this podcast it is what it is um i there are aspects of this movie that i did enjoy i've never been big on awkward comedy uh it's one of the reasons um uh meet the parents made me want to like melt into my, my chair but uh so you know that being said i'm never going to be huge on ratings from that sort of awkwardness but there are aspects of this movie that are that are worth it and 
as a romantic comedy and a way to get brownie points for date night, sure, go nuts. Okay, okay. Uh, th- that's the same rating you gave The Graduate, and I uh, detected that uh, you might come in below that. Although, I don't know. You hated that one a good bit, too, so. Hate, hate's a strong word. It, it just, I, again, awkward comedies, uh, or even things that disguise themselves, masquerade as comedies that, that just aren't funny. Um, yeah, I don't know. Okay. I'm also going to go with two stars on this one. Uh, I, I think it feels good, it, but it just doesn't escalate. It doesn't become goofy enough, and I am asking for a little more, um, you know, mess in there because i think there's good humor in that mess and i think you can still make people feel good without getting all the way down to you know full-blown yelling and tears and stuff like that and that kind of mess i think that there's a certain there's a happy amount of dysfunction that even a happy movie can tolerate and um i think it probably becomes a little more balanced for all audiences when that happens so i'm gonna go with two stars brian you ready to help me pick a movie for next time oh absolutely are you ready for some Oscar movies? These are movies that were the best film of for the respective years. All right. Option number one, selfish yuppie Charlie Bartlett's father left a fortune to his savant brother Raymond for a pittance to Charlie. They travel across country together. Option two, unforgiven, retired old West gunslinger William Money reluctantly takes one last job with the help of his old partner and a young man. The Departed is option number three from 2007. In an undercover cop and a mole and the police attempt to identify each other while infiltrating an Irish gang in South Boston. All right, Brian. Rain Man, Unforgiven, or The Departed? Well, all the love in the world to The Departed, but something I have not seen as much, so let's go with Unforgiven. Sounds like a good choice. It's our first Western, so uh, it's exciting to go after that. And thank you so much, Chad, for coming on the show, uh, you know, helping us get a good movie to do on Valentine's Day. It, uh, you're the most qualified person for the job that I know. And to all the ladies out there who listen to the show, who, if anybody loves a rom-com who wants to come and better school us on what makes a great rom-com, or a chick flick, I should say, uh, we're always available out there. So please absolutely reach out to us on that. And there's a there's a there's a hole in the show's expertise there so but uh for the time being thank you chad for being our expert this was a lot of fun having you on absolutely yeah man happy to do uh date night movies with my wife with uh two guy friends any time of the the week (laughs) special torture (laughs) thank you brian for filling in for john and uh you know you're you're doing a great job of holding it down with the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, man. Always a pleasure, Russ. Uh, and to all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, we invite you to reach out from out, reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Tell us what movies you want to see. Tell us what kinds of movies you enjoy. Tell us what you thought of the episode and what you thought about the movie we just watched. So rate and review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Those five-star ratings on iTunes really help us get our word out there. Help us other people find the show. Give us a like on Facebook. That's really helpful. You can always see what we're up to, what movies are coming up next, where you can re- watch the movies. And also email us at RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com if you want a more in-depth conversation or if you would like to be on the show yourself or know someone who would like to be on the show. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Brian? You know, I thought it would be 
just fitting, given our uh, issues with it, to finish off with a quote from 10 Things I Hate About You. It's Larry Miller's Walter Stratford. I'm down. I've got the 411. And you're not going out and getting jiggy with some boy. I don't care how dope his ride is. Mama didn't raise no fool.